This podcast was developed by Bridge Bio to educate ourselves and the public about living with a rare disease. Since our guests aren't scripted and are free to speak their minds, their views do not necessarily reflect the views and policy of Bridge Biopharma. Now, we hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to On Rare, an exclusive podcast where patients, families, and their loved ones living with rare diseases are championed. I'm Mandy of the patient advocacy team at BridgeBio. Thank you for joining me. Today, David Rintel, head of patient advocacy at BridgeBio, will speak with Alex, an 18-year-old girl whose mom has been diagnosed with cholangiocarcinoma, a rare cancer of the bile ducts. We look forward to hearing from Alex about how her family navigates living with a mom who has this serious and potentially fatal condition. David, how are you today? Hi, Mandy. I'm doing well, thank you. I'm looking forward to speaking with Alex to hear about her experience as a teenager whose mom is battling this difficult condition. But before we speak with Alex, let's find out as much as we can about cholangiocarcinoma from a valued colleague of mine who's an expert in cholangiocarcinoma, Dr. Susan Moran. Hi, Susan. Thanks for joining us. Sure. Thanks, David. Susan, what is cholangiocarcinoma? Who's affected by it? And how are they affected? Sure. So cholangiocarcinoma is a rare cancer that develops in the bile ducts of the liver. It is a very serious and almost universally fatal condition. It affects approximately 20,000 people in the U.S. and Europe combined each year. Currently, the median five-year survival rate is only about 9%. Part of the reason is that patients are often diagnosed late because the symptoms can be vague and nonspecific. Um, So fatigue, maybe a little bit of weight loss, some abdominal pain, and it may only be when they develop some yellowing of their skin and the whites of their eyes, which is called jaundice, that they may go to the doctor. And the only chance for a cure with cholangiocarcinoma is to have it completely resected. And unfortunately, by the time patients actually get diagnosed, it is too late uh, for that complete resection. Thank you, Susan. It's difficult to hear for all of us about how serious this cancer can be. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about people living with cholangiocarcinoma. Sure. About 10 to 16% of cholangiocarcinomas have a mutation in the FGFR2 gene, and for whatever reason, these particular tumors seem to occur more commonly among women and younger patients, and until very recently, uh, there were no targeted therapies for cholangiocarcinoma. There was surgery, like I mentioned, and then very nonspecific chemotherapy. As you said, cholangiocarcinoma itself is not very common, and this is a small percentage of people with cholangiocarcinoma. Well, Bridge Bio is a obviously is a biopharmaceutical company, and it was uh, started to actually treat these rare genetically determined diseases. And really, that was the whole reason why Bridge Bio was started was to pay attention to some of these rare diseases that maybe have been neglected. Um, because behind these numbers, every one of these numbers is a person. Susan, thank you so much for giving us such a thorough and understandable explanation of cholangiocarcinoma. Thanks, David. 
condition like glandiocarcinoma doesn't only affect the person who has the symptoms, or commonly known as the patient, it also has a huge impact on the entire family. And now we're going to hear from Alex, the 18-year-old daughter of a mom who's living with glandiocarcinoma, to let us know what it's like from her perspective. How are you, Alex? I am good. How are you, David? I'm good, thank you. Really happy to be talking to you. Uh, me as well. Thank you so much for having me on. So, Alex, your mom has glandiocarcinoma. Yeah. I'd really like to hear her story, but from your perspective, and just tell me what life was like. Yeah. She was diagnosed officially in April of 2016. I was in eighth grade, so that makes me almost 15, 14, almost 15 when she was diagnosed. Um, I do remember the days leading up to when she was hospitalized. She was definitely fatigued. She wasn't feeling super well, but she kind of just pushes through all that stuff. I don't think that any of us really thought anything of it. You know, she was trying to do work throughout the day. Um, she'd get tired at night. She would be napping. It was definitely a little odd. I didn't really think anything of it. It was actually my dad who said, something's not right. Let's, let's, let's get you checked out. So she went to the hospital, ended up staying two or three nights. And then um, that's when they realized that it was something much bigger than just some fatigue, some headaches, some fever. And at that point, I don't know if they diagnosed it as official cholangiocarcinoma. I think that they just told her that she has, you know, cancer of the liver, cancer of the bile duct. Um, and at that point, everything did change. That summer was, you know, definitely not how we planned it to go. We were home a lot. Um, yeah, it was, it was definitely, it was definitely a big change. I think that because I was so young, I've not only pushed a lot of it out of my head and kind of choose not to go back there, but I also was in a big, big state of denial for a long time. And I think that I still kind of go in and out of that denial just to cope really, you know, it's hard to think, you know, about illness or death or any kind of, you know, hard trauma. You can't really have that floating around in your head all the time or it, it kind of eats you up. So it's kind of good for me to put it on the back burner every once in a while just to take a break. But that's definitely how I was at, you know, 15, 14, 15 years old. I was like, okay, mom's in the hospital and, you know, now we're having pancakes for dinner <laughs> because she's not around to cook. And my dad's like throwing, in a, you know, an omelet together at night just to to feed the kids and kind of move move forward. So you're 14, your dad says your mom's in the hospital. You have to function so you can't think about this every moment of every day. But I wonder if we could bring you back to the first conversation you had with your mom or dad about your mom's health. Did your parents tell you right away or did they wait for a while? Yeah. Um, and what did they say? I do have to go back now. I don't remember um, talking to her at our house. I do remember talking to her in the hospital. And I just remember she was on the bed and she was kind of weaker, but she had a, she was a pretty good attitude considering she was in the hospital for, you know, two nights overnight without her family. Um, and the doctor just kind of gave my dad and I, my brother was pretty young at, at the time. If I was 14, 15, he was probably 11 or 12. Um, so he wasn't really involved in that conversation as much. I think that he was kind of, he was still confused. He was like, what's going on? You know, mom's just tired. Why isn't she home? Why isn't she back? And I, I did understand that it was something greater. And honestly, the conversations that I remember more were with my therapist around the time. And this was actually a therapist that both me and my mom shared. Um, we both saw her separately and sometimes together as well. And she, 
she was pretty to the point and she kind of she kind of woke me up because I was in this like I said I was in this days of denial where you know I didn't really I wasn't fully comprehending what they were saying they were saying you know she has this cancer of the liver and I said okay well cancer's curable you know why why is everybody so grave about this I do remember this very very vividly my therapist looked at me when we were in her office and she was like your mom's gonna die she was like you have to start preparing for your mom to die I was like I was 15 and I just like looked at her and, and cried and I just had nothing to say um but I think that my mom's cancer is so different from what I expected it to be because when you know when I hear cancer I think of like the pink ribbon and you know fighting for breast cancer and something that's curable or something where you can work towards a cure or making you know being able to maintain it and keep it under control in your life and the way that you know her direction was heading that didn't seem like an option and I think that my dad probably had the same idea going through his head I'm sure he was in some denial as well you know he was having angry bursts of, you know, yelling and stuff. And he was stressed out in his room and working day and night just to kind of, you know, stay distracted. Um, So that's really the conversation that I remember having more is my therapist being like, Alex, you know, wake up. This is not just your mom being in the hospital and, you know, like your life is completely changed now. And I just kind of looked at her and and sobbed for a while. I do remember that. So... You heard in the hospital that your mom was diagnosed with cancer. And at the time, you think of cancer as this disease that some people get, but they get treated for it. They participate in walks to raise money. It's the image of cancer that most of us have. And at any time of life, it's really hard to look the seriousness of cancer right in the face. But in particular, when you're a young teenager and really think about how serious it could get. Absolutely. And you know, it's not just you. You can see that your dad is struggling. That's hard to see. So did you and your mom start seeing the therapist after her diagnosis? Or was this something that was going on before? No, actually, um, my mom started seeing her originally maybe a few years prior. Um, honestly, she saw she saw her about my brother because my brother has some ADD that can be a little difficult to deal with at times. He's so much better now. He's almost 16. He's a great kid. But you know, 11, 12, he was kind of getting on on all of our nerves. So I think that she got the therapist for her just to kind of figure out how to manage his school, his activities, keeping him balanced. And then I ended up seeing the therapist as well, because my mom really wanted me to see her and talk about my brother on my own and be able to, you know, express my frustrations and figure out strategies on how to deal with him, etc. And honestly, that, you know, that therapist actually never really ended up being for my brother. It was, you know, as soon as I started seeing her, it became more about me. And then once my mom got diagnosed, um, you know, we talked about my mom a lot as well. So again, thinking about the early days of her illness, at some point she went on treatment. And I wonder if you could tell us what you remember about the treatment and also what happened when she came home from the hospital. Um, she came home a few days after, you know, after the few days of being in the hospital, she was pretty much in bed a lot you know we were bringing her her meals and water and she was taking some walks around the house just to you know to stay energized but she was pretty much sleeping and watching tv for a couple weeks I don't remember if there was treatment in those couple weeks they might have given her some medication but I know that the next step was that she started sending her medical reports to a friend of ours who's a um, a nurse practitioner and she gave us some really good advice, like life life saving advice. Actually, um, 
I think there was a surgery that they wanted to do or some kind of medication that they wanted to put her on. And this friend of ours was like, do not go on that. She said, don't do that. And my mom listened to her and it ended up like literally saving what could have been not a good event. Uh, She also started sending her her documentation to people over at uh, Mass General, Massachusetts General Hospital. And they were super helpful. We've got some doctors in our family as well, which we're very fortunate to have. So she sent some stuff to some of my family members as well. Um, So we honestly, we had a lot of support. Eventually, she went on chemo for a while. I believe it was a full year. And then there was talk of a big surgery that was towards the end of my freshman year, April 2017. And she flew to Boston to have the surgery done. And I remember uh, being in class, actually, and I, I got a call from my dad and I stepped outside and he said, uh, the surgery did not happen. We didn't go through the surgery. They opened her up and they actually found microscopic tumors that they couldn't see before. You know, they didn't want to proceed. And even though he seemed pretty optimistic on the phone, you could tell in his voice that he was he was definitely upset, but he tried to seem pretty optimistic. He said, obviously, this isn't the end for us. This surgery wasn't the end all be all. There's more treatments out there. We can figure stuff out. And I wasn't really listening. I hung up the phone and I kind of just went to the bathroom and and sobbed in there because I just I knew I mean, I knew what it meant. Like he didn't have to say it. I was like, okay, we have this this problem. You know, there's cancer all over her her liver. They open her up and there's more. I was 15, almost 16 at that point, and I kind of, you know, I knew what was going on. And then she went back to chemo for a while. I want to say maybe four or five months before they wanted to put her on a drug trial. And so she took up some drug trials. These are drugs that, but they were not released to the public at the time. It was, you know, she was part of a clinical trial, so it was very much, we didn't know what was going to happen going into it. She did the drug trial for, I want to say, two years, three years. She's still doing drug trials right now. She's on a different one. Alex, I just have to make an observation that things change over time. At first, you describe yourself as being in denial and not really looking at what was happening. And then something changed because I'm thinking of you in the hallway at school and your dad sharing the information about MGH and you're fully involved in what's happening with her then and during chemotherapy. It sounds like something really shifted. Yeah, I think that I was, I definitely looked the other way for a while just because I didn't, I didn't really care. I didn't, I did care obviously, but I didn't care enough to want to know what medication she was taking, what chemotherapy did to her body. I knew obviously cancer is bad. It does bad things to you. Chemo isn't much better. We we're Italian, so we've got a ton of hair, but she did lose like half of her hair. Her hair's straight now. Um, it used to be naturally curly. So there's definitely some, you know, some big things that, that I've seen her lose in that sense. But I think that as time went on, I definitely started to, to pay more attention. I credit my mom a lot because she was always, you know, whether I asked or not, she would always try and keep all of us in the loop. You know, she would have like little family dinner meetings and she would explain, you know, this is the surgery that I'm doing. This is where I'm going to go for it. You know, these are the precautions. These are the risks and blah, blah, blah. She usually really enjoyed providing me with the most information that she could, which was good. And I did not listen to her about that stuff. I think a year had to pass and I had to, I had to really let it marinate and soak and realize that this is a part of my life. And whether I want to pay attention to it or not, I'm going to have to start listening at some point. And when you came to the realization that, okay, this is really part of my life. Thinking about your friends who are probably focusing on very different experiences and you're realizing that my mom's cancer is part of my life now. Yeah. One thing that uh, I really never wanted to be was like 
the daughter of a mom with cancer. That's something that I actually tried really hard to not uh, be known as. So when my mom was first diagnosed, I actually didn't tell anybody. <laughs> I told my close friend. Um, I had a boyfriend at the time. I didn't tell him for a while. I, you know, I told like two people and it was actually my mom and like my mom's friends who were like, why isn't your daughter telling anybody what's going on? Like, you know, I was crying in class and none of my friends knew why. And that was a year later. So even then I was, I was keeping it pretty much on the down low. Um, I'm sorry. What was your question? I feel like I went on a tangent there. I asked how that felt about being the daughter of a mother with cancer. And I think your response was, well, that's not really who you wanted to be. Yeah. You wanted to be you. So you didn't really share what you were going through. But that yeah. also meant that you were mostly left alone and people weren't able to support and recognize what you're going through. Yeah, that is true. I did feel very alone at times. You know, I did I did have some friends that, that were very awesome. I had a friend that came over. I remember this very vividly. Uh, my mom actually invited her because their parents are friends. She and I played Just Dance on the Xbox for hours and then we made some mac and cheese and we just kind of took the whole day together and she like we didn't talk about it at all. And that was totally fine with me. You know, like just having that company is definitely something of value. I never really necessarily liked to talk about my mom's illness to other people because I just didn't want to be like the person that people pitied. I wanted people to rather be supportive. And like if I need somebody to play Just Dance with and eat mac and cheese on like a Tuesday afternoon, then that's what I need. But it, it is definitely, it kind of separates you from from other people just because it's an experience that others don't know how to relate to you. Um, that was part of why I didn't want to talk to friends about it because they didn't know what was going on. They don't want to imagine their mom dying either, you know? So, so even to hear my story, I think was hard for some people. I did feel a little different from others just because I knew that, you know, other kids weren't going home and having to worry about, you know, is my mom going to live tomorrow? Is my mom going to live in three months, in a year, in five years? So when your therapist said, Alex, your mom's going to die a year or two down the road, I wonder if you could share with us what you thought and felt having this weight hanging over you and your family, that your mom has an illness that could take her life. Yeah, I think that the time that it was the most serious is the time that I was in the most denial. So I, 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 of course, I felt the gravity of it. But at the same time, I was pretty focused on my life as well. You know, I started at a new high school as a freshman. That's a very busy year. Of course, I'm meeting new people and I've got, you know, these tough classes. Um, so I was doing my best to stay focused on me. But of course, like I said, that denial kind of taps in and out. So there would be times where something would trigger me, like I would read a poem or I'd see like a post somewhere online about like a daughter and their mom or I'd watch a movie where you know it talks about the relationship between a mom and, and her daughter and I would just break down and I would be break like broken down for the rest of the day um, but generally I think now that it's been you know over five years I can't imagine our family without it it's hard to imagine you know who our family was before she was diagnosed so I guess it was really just something that I took with a grain of salt and was like this is part of our family now you know this is part of what I'm going to be dealing with for the rest of my life. Most of us when we're talking with our mothers death is not part of the conversation but it's been part of your conversation and your thoughts about her and so how has it affected your relationship? Ah uh... At times, it felt like we had so little time. I think that maybe we talked more about more serious topics than we would have if I didn't think that she had so little time. I think in the beginning, nothing really changed. Like I said, I was turning my head the other way. I was trying to pretend that this illness didn't exist and, you know, we're still the same family. 
etc. But I think definitely over the years, it's it's strengthened our relationship. Um, I started teaching yoga for the Cholangiocarcinoma Foundation. So we would go to her patient conference every year together. Um, COVID kind of stopped that from happening these past couple of years, but I still teach yoga on, on the Zoom. And, you know, I've met some of the patients that she knows and that she uh, mentors for as well. So I think that although her cancer isn't the reason that we're closer, it's um, like a means of us getting closer just naturally because, you know, we found a way to connect on it. Do you talk about it a lot? I mean, I'm guessing that you talk to your mom about school and other things. I just wonder how much her illness is part of your conversation these days. Really only when it needs to come up. Right now she's she's pretty stable. She's got a couple small nodules um, and she started a new drug trial. So the last time that it actually came up was about a month ago, you know, days before this trial started so that she could sit our family down and say, this is what I'm doing. Here are the risks. You know, here's all the information that you guys need to know so that you don't have to do it on your own time. So that was the last time we had a serious, more serious talk about it. But she does joke a lot. She, you know, she likes to joke about how her toenails are falling off because, you know, because of the because <laughs> of the drug that she's on. So it comes up. It's definitely not a topic that makes makes our family uncomfortable in any way. I think my brother has fully grasped that we're living with this this thing now. But, you know, I don't think he remembers how serious it was when he was 11 to 12 when, you know, the doctors basically told us that she had within, you know, less than weeks before she would pass. But yeah, we definitely all, you know, we all take it with a grain of salt. We all kind of joke about it and she actually jokes about it the most, but we'll, we'll laugh along. Uh, but yeah, it doesn't, it's, I don't think it overtakes, you know, our conversations. I definitely talk with my mom about, like you said, school and work and, you know, other things that are not related to that. So when you're in high school, you talked about your relationship with your friends and peers. How's it been since you've been in college? I mean, do your friends in college know about your mom's illness? Do you talk about it very much there? Uh, none of them do, actually. I haven't. I have not told any of them. Uh, I haven't really found a, a reason to, but no, I haven't brought it up with any friends. I have a pretty long-term boyfriend right now that, that knows about it um, and that has met her as well. So he's kind of my source for that, but... No, I did not disclose that to any friends. It's also my freshman year. I feel like I don't think that that's something that I need to really crack open at the moment. Yes, <laughs> this has really been an unusual year. Yeah. The entire theme of last year is distance. So <laughs> I could see that it would be hard to have these kind of close conversations. Yes. So if someone were to ask you about your thoughts about the future, what comes up for you? Uh, I have pretty positive thoughts for the future. Honestly, I didn't always have those positive thoughts. I think that before it was almost like a waiting game, like how long am I going to be, you know, strewn along before she ends up passing anyways and it's just, you know, that much more pain. But honestly, I do have very positive positive thoughts and my mom is so optimistic all the time. She's so she's a very hard fighter. She kind of looked at this cancer and was like, "You think you're going to take me before I see my kids graduate college and get married and, you know, find houses of their own?" Like, no way. So she really just grabs it by the throat and like kicks it a couple times. So <laughs> I'm pretty positive for the future. And I know that she's um, under really good care and she's got some awesome doctors. She's got some awesome friends. We've got awesome family members that, you know, everybody's behind us. Everybody's super supportive. So that's really, it's really encouraging to see always. So it sounds like you really follow her lead. She's been really positive and proactive and she's proactive about her medical care. 
She's proactive about updating the family and saying, okay, we really have to talk about this thing. I I actually resented her just because she was so positive. She was running around the house cleaning and she wanted to watch movies with me and make some food. And I was just like, girl, you have cancer. Like, get back in your bed. (laughs) Go lay down. Go get some rest. Um, That was more towards the beginning. But I definitely did not always feel this way. I think that time and, you know, maturing and my mom's support and everybody else's support has kind of helped my perspective look a little more glass half full rather than glass half empty. So. Well, still, when I asked you about the future, you said that she says, you're not going to interfere with me making it through my kids' college years. It's still more of a limited look ahead. Is that how it looks to you? I think it's it's definitely hard to think about a longer time frame. I think thinking anywhere more than 10 to 15 years ahead in time is kind of hard for my brain to do because um, it's crazy to me that it's been five years because it feels like it's been maybe two or three. There's nothing that I can do. So really to just appreciate the time I have now and take it day by day and not look too you know too far ahead, I find that most helpful. That's a beautiful end to this conversation, Alex. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mandy, that was such a moving conversation with Alex, and we're so grateful that she shared her story and the story of her family with us. Something that Alex said reminded me about other families as well living with serious illness, and that is the challenge to change to be able to accommodate the illness, but also to stay the same and to maintain family functioning and normal family life. Yeah, David, her story was so touching and moving in so many different ways. But I think what resonated with me most was this roller coaster of feelings that she experienced. Some days she acknowledged it and managed it and dealt with it. But then there were days where she wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. And she just wanted to be a teenage girl whose mom didn't have cancer. Um, and she wasn't the one going through the the disease. She, you know, it was her mom. As you mentioned, when one person's challenged and when one person in the family is dealing with something so terrible, um, everyone is living with it. Alex is following her mother's lead and her mom really has had a lot of foresight to make sure that cancer is not the sole topic of conversation in the family. She's trying to not allow cancer to interfere any more than it has to. Alex's story illustrates the need for treatment and the need for continued research so that families like Alex's can continue to live their lives fully. Mandy, you know, this has really been a really moving experience for me, and I want to thank you for working on this podcast together. It makes a big difference, particularly when we're facing difficult subject matter, and I thank Amy, our producer, who also helps guide us, and Susan to give us background, and of course, Alex, her family, and all of the families living with cholangiocarcinoma, thinking about them now. Thank you, David. We certainly have an honor and a privilege to share these stories. If you would like more information, please visit the website of the Cholangiocarcinoma Foundation, cholangiocarcinoma.org. Thanks for being with us today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and please join us for our next conversation on RARE.